The Guardian. This Guardian podcast is supported by Squarespace, the renowned website builder that helps you share your story with the world in the most beautiful way. Establish a personal brand, portfolio, or e-commerce store at squarespace.com and use the offer code Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian Books Podcast with Claire Armistead. Can there be a 20th century poet whose reputation has spread further and whose work is more beloved than that of Pablo Neruda? Chile's Nobel laureate, who died in 1973, has inspired books, films and song cycles. His death in a Santiago hospital 12 days after a military coup by his avowed enemy, Augusto Pinochet, has created a forensic mystery which has led to his body being exhumed and scattered across four different countries as scientists test and retest for evidence that he was poisoned or otherwise done away with. Only this month, a judge in Chile said enough was enough and ordered his body to be reburied alongside the remains of the love of his life and third wife, Matilda Urrutia. On today's programme, we'll hear all about that from his biographer, Adam Feinstein. We'll also celebrate the living legend of one of the world's great poets. And who better to represent him than the actor David Soule? Yes, that David Soule, the blonde half of the 70s cop series Starsky and Hutch. We've travelled to West London to seek him out in the basement theatre where he's giving a one-off performance of his acclaimed show The Passion and Poetry of Pablo Neruda, accompanied on stage by guitarist Hugh Burns. And excitingly for a long-time fangirl like me, they've allowed us to sit in on their rehearsal. So let's hear a little of what they'll be performing and then we'll talk to David and Neruda biographer Adam Feinstein in person. I think I should start, I lived in the, I lived, to me, to you, I'm going to tell you all that happened to me. I lived in a quarter in Madrid. And, and then stop? Yeah. Okay, I need more. Fickle man. My eyes ran away with me after a dark woman passing by. She was black mother of pearl. She was dark violet grapes, and my blood lashed me with its fiery tail. I chased after them all. A bright blonde went by like a golden plant swinging the gifts of her body, and my mouth ran away with me as with the wave of the sea, unloading on her breast lightning flashes of blood. Chase after them all. But to you, without my moving, without seeing you in the distance, to you go out my blood and kisses, my dark and blonde woman, my robust and slender woman, my lofty and small woman, my ugly one, my beauty, made of all the gold and all the silver in the world, made of all the wheat and of all the earth, made of all the water of the waves of the sea, made for my arms, made for my kisses, made for my soul. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Well, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm here in the theatre with David and Adam. Tell us how this collaboration came about. I can remember when we first met. Yeah, okay. At the Chilean Embassy. It was the Chilean Embassy. September the 18th, one of the national Chilean national days. That's right. Across the room, I recognised the. Yeah, you and you told me, and you told me that you had written a book. Uh, uh, Yeah, and 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 we talked in the corner and had a cigarette and a couple of glasses of wine, didn't we? David smoked (laughs) wine. And anyway, we did. I don't smoke uh, anymore, but I did then. (laughs) You did talk. How long ago was this? Oh, I don't know, three years, four years ago. Three or four years ago. We just discovered we shared a yeah. passion, a love for Pablo Neruda, yeah. poetry, and a man. We just we just uh, connected, and uh, I read his his book, and uh, well, we just stayed in touch. Was this the beginning of the show for you, or had you already been doing it? Um, I'm not into poetry very much. <laughs> and um, I think of you as an action hero, still. You see that? that no, thing no, 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 no. Not an action hero at all. No, no not at all. No, not. I'm uh, not. Not that's for sure. Not anymore. Certainly, uh, and I had to change my ways. <laughs> but I, I stumbled. Somebody gave me a copy of the Captain's Verses, which is one of Neruda's lovely books of love poetry, and um, it just knocked me on my butt. Frankly, I just love that stuff. And suddenly I became this guy who <laughs> had a, a love affair with Pablo Neruda. And then, I, then I, it, it occurred to me that I wanted to try to expand his music, I mean his poetry, which is music, into music, but not necessarily writing, because somebody's already done that, haven't they? There are like said, the circle of five songs, is there not? Oh, the Liebeson, the Liebeson are amazing. If you talk about the composing, yeah, yeah. The Liebeson are a wonderful piece of music, by the way. Yeah, uh, but I didn't want to do that. No, no. Because his poetry is as relevant in these days as it was when it was written. Mm-hmm. The same sort of thing happens as today as it happened back then. So I wanted to use contemporary music or music from the Andes, music from Brazil, music from South America. Uh, it accounts for a number of things that we have in the show that are Brazilian or Peruvian or Chilean based. Um, and also Spain, Spanish stuff. But we also have room for blues. And we have room for a lot of different kinds. Because they all, they, they, you know, they, they, there's, a, there's a whole reason for, for instance, the poem, uh, The Ode to Clothes. We, we, you, we picked uh, uh, Easter Bonnet. In your Easter Bonnet with all the daddy da da you know. Silly, but great. Ode to artichokes about it, uh, the armored, uh, the armored vegetable. So we did um, glory, glory, hallelujah. He has a dream, and the vegetable. You'll hear that tonight. He has a dream to be in the army, doesn't he? The the artichoke. The artichoke does, yeah. And I just loved his like Neruda was off the wall in so many different ways, but his 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 life, or I should say, his poetry reflects his life, and vice versa. That's what really excited me. You go through all these changes, and he, all these women that he went through, and all the you know the, the, all of the incredible adventures that he went through, and it's all there. My infinity. Do you see these hands? They have measured the earth, have separated minerals and cereals. They have made peace and war. They have conquered the distances of all seas and rivers. 
Nevertheless, when they travel over you, my little one, my grain of wheat, my lark, they cannot encompass you. They tire when they try to reach the twin doves that rest or fly on your breast. They traverse the length of your legs. They coil up in the light of your waist. For me, you are a treasure of value more immense than the sea and its fruits. And you are white and blue and broad like the earth when grapes are ripe. In this territory, between your feet and your brow, strolling, 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 I shall spend my life. It's also very political, the poetry, isn't it? Yeah, but it didn't start that way. Let him. No, no, he started, of course, as a love poet, famously, with the 20 love poems. And he always said in interviews, no, that I'm not a, a political poet, I'm a, I am a love poet. Even my political poetry is love poetry. People make this schism, this division between the love and the political poetry. Rubbish. Tell us a little bit about his politics, about what happened to him, because well, it struck me you couldn't really understand the poetry without knowing a bit about that. Absolutely right. He started off as a, basically as an anarchist. He didn't really believe in any political party, and then Spain came along. He was posted to Spain as a con Chilean consul in Barcelona and then Madrid. In 1936, he's, he's, he was a close friend of, by then of Federico García Lorca, who was murdered in August 1936. That murder changed Neruda's whole life and whole poetic outlook because he suddenly thought, my poetry cannot be inward-looking, anguished. It's got to be an, a weapon for social and political justice. It's got to do something positive. It's not going to be all this life-negating stuff that I used to write in the 20 Love Poems and Residence on Earth. He had to be something completely different. His, his whole world outlook changed and so did his poetry. And we're going to read, as you know, let me explain it, or I explain a few things, which is mm -hmm. the poem where he explains why his poetry changed from the lyrical, self-obsessed, inward-looking anguish to this outward-looking, wonderfully, still lyrical, but much more politically, socially committed poetry. He also went through a lot of changes, became a communist as a result of the, what, what happened in, during the Spanish Civil War. Of course, being a communist, we, we've, we've looked at it as, you know, as kind of a, certainly being an American, communism is not appreciated very much in America. However, it's pure in its purest form. It's fantastic. And, it, you know, and, it, and he believed very much in the democratic process. But, and he was also elected as a senator. His connection with Chile was undying. He was a real patriot. All his life, he knew to travel around the world constantly. But there's a wonderful biography. Semi, it's a half biography. It was written in 1966 by Rodriguez Monegal. Uruguayan critics called in Spanish it's called Viajero Inmóvil it's a wonderful title because it means the static traveller the motionless traveller and what he was implying by that was wherever he went in the world he was still looking back he still felt his heart was back in Chile he never felt he'd left Chile and he always longed for it back even in, on Capri when he wrote a lot of the captain's verses he looked out at the sea and he thought that's not uh, not, that's not the sea that I, lo I love it in Isla Negra, but you know, the wild Pacific. It's too calm, it's too docile, the sea. So he, he missed Chile all the time. Yeah, and you were talking about the love, the love poetry and, and the connection between the politics and the love. The love of Chile was, I mean, for him it was like a woman, in a way. The earth, the land, the things that he loved so much as a child. He remembers all these things and he plays with them in his, his poetry. 
it's quite extraordinary. The only Chilean, oddly enough, of his th- three wives was the last one, Matilde Urrutia, to whom he dedicated Captain's Verses. And I think he uses the word roots a lot in those, in those poems. He uses raíces in Spanish and because he feels more deeply rooted with Matilde than anywhere else. He felt he, he'd be dragged back, for, not forcibly, because he loved her deeply, but he, he'd been dragged back to his roots, to his Chilean roots. And, and um, that's part of the reason those, the Captain's Verses and other poems like the uh, 100 Love Sonnets also dedicated to Matilda are so passionate and so intensely personal because they're speaking about Neruda's nostalgia, his passion for his own country, his own country. Your feet. When I cannot gaze on your face, I gaze on your feet. Your feet of arched bone, your small hard feet. I know they hold you up and that your sweet weight rises upon them. Your waist and breasts, the double purple of your nipples, the casing of your eyes which have just flown away, your wide fruit mouth, your red hair, my little tower. But I only love your feet because they have wandered the earth and through the wind and over the water until they brought you to me. This is sold out tonight. Yeah. And do you think that people have come to see you or because care. they're passionate about Neruda? I don't care. I really don't care. I, what I do care about is that they're introduced to the poetry of Pablo Neruda. That I do care about. And do you think that there is something about him that is particularly relevant now? Oh, everything is. What? You speak, if you're, you believe in social justice, that you don't want uh, oppression from either side, if you believe in love, and everyone believes in love, if you're in love in love, I, th- I think his poetry makes you in love with love. And he made you glad to feel alive. Not that many poets do that, actually. Make you, you read them and they, make, they give you a joy, a passion for life. Passion for life is the subtitle of my, of my book. And I, I chose that deliberately because that's mainly what his poetry transmits. Some of Neruda's most delightful poetry are his surreal poems. The odes to ordinary things to which he gives life. Here's one, Ode to Clothes. Every morning you wait, clothes, over a chair to fill yourself with my vanity, my love, my hope, my body. Barely risen from sleep, I relinquish the water, enter your sleeves, My legs look for the hollows of your legs, and so embraced by your indefatigable faithfulness, I rise to tread the grass, enter poetry, consider through the windows the things, the men, the women, the deeds and the fights go on forming me, go on making me face things, working my hands, opening my eyes, using my mouth. And so clothes, I too go forming you, Extending your elbows, snapping your threads, and so your life expands in the image of my life. In the wind you billow and snap as if you were my soul. At bad times you cling to my bones, vacant for the night, darkness, sleep populate with their phantoms, your wings and mine. I wonder if one day a bullet from the enemy will leave you stained with my blood. 
blood, and then you will die with me. Or one day not quite so dramatic, but simple. You will fall ill clothes with me, grow old with me, with my body, and joined we will enter the earth. Because of this, each day I greet you with reverence, and then you embrace me and I forget you, because we are one, and we will go on facing the wind, in the night, the streets, or the fight, a single body. One day, one day, someday, still. There's a, a, a bit of a debate, a, quite a big debate, about um, whether he was poisoned or not. And he's, he's been exhumed recently, and it's still ongoing. Well, he wasn't exhumed recently. He's actually, he actually was exhumed on April the 8th, uh, two years ago, 2013. Curiously enough, the same day that Margaret Thatcher died, would you believe? Um, extraordinary serendipity, historical serendipity, but that was two years ago. Last year, in November 2014, the initial findings said there was, they hadn't found any poison, but it's just been reopened this year by the government, Chilean government again. They're looking for different things. They're looking for uh, heavy metals and, and, and other, other kinds of elements in the body which might show some kind of intervention from outside. His bones are in three different countries now. They're in Chile, of course, but they're also in North Carolina in the States and they're in Murcia in southern Spain. And they've just been, a four, poor Pablo, a fourth lot of his bones have been uh, shipped out to Switzerland. So you've got forensic scientists looking everywhere. Uh, people keep asking me, is it possible that he was poisoned? Are you going to ask me that, Claire? I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to ask David that. Do you think he was poisoned? Well, it's, it's the same question that, was, that you're dealing with in terms of Allende. Did he commit suicide or was he murdered? And they were very close friends. Uh, Neruda died 12 days after Allende did. Uh, he, he did have can, he had can, cancer, he had cancer, prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. But whether he was, he could very well have been. He already, he also, you know, he reminds you people of the, of the, you asked about his relevance today, reminds people of the horror of war. His, his first thought goes for the children and for the women. And there's a, there's a poem that I do here called The Un Unhappy One. The woman who waits and waits and waits through all the stuff, you know, of war. And then there are the children whose blood runs in the streets. That's pretty relevant. Well, you mentioned Lorca and that they were friends. Um, Lorca's also, there's, there's a question about how, how Lorca <coughs> died, whether he was murdered or died, although they haven't got anywhere. They haven't got anywhere yet. I was, I, was having, yet. I was having lunch with Ian Gibson, his, his great biographer, quite recently. And uh, he, he, still, he maintains they're still looking in the wrong place. He thinks they may, they may still find him. They haven't found him. They keep, the family have you know, been reluctant, of course, as a lot of people in Spain have, to dig up uh, the past, which um, uh, Ian and others have criticised because the, the reluctance to face the past, uh, which is very powerful there. There is a law of historical memory in Spain, which, which a lot of people feel is not being, has been abused or not been... Uh, properly used and um, so yeah it's very strange his, his great friend is also 
under the ground somewhere, but we don't know where. We know where Neruda is. He's in, as I said, he's in four, four, four different, different places. places. But I mean, it's possible. There are. I mean, I'll probably say a, a bit more about this. My book has a separate chapter about the exhumation and some of the, the theories both sides. But all I will say is the family are divided. One of the nephews thinks it's, uh, it's it's all a lot of nonsense and he died natural causes or cancer, and the other half, another nephew thinks that we really should be investigating it more because there are. Uh, possibility, you know, there are chances that something, some evil, or at least his cancer could have been accelerated by an injection of some sort. The rehearsal's almost at an end, but before we let Soul and Burns welcome their audience, I had to find out if there were any other poetry performances in the offing. Lorca, perhaps. I think I'll leave Lorca to the people who like Lorca. <laughs> let me, actually, let me, can I add something about that? Because it, by pure coincidence, I just, I'm going to see Trader Faulkner. I don't know whether Trader Faulkner means something to you. I was with him the other day uh, and having chatting about, because he gave Lorca shows. He's given up now because ne- I think he's nearly 90. But he, uh, I, I think he's the last person who's done one-man shows. There is a space for it, David. David. I'm, or, doing, I'm doing Hemingway right now. <laughs> hey, it's no, space. Yeah. You talk uh, about that. Yeah, we're restoring his uh, his '55 Chrysler, New Yorker Deluxe. It was pulled out of the jungle, and uh, since getting my uh, Br- British passport, I have been down to down there a number of times in Cuba, and uh, decided one day that I would uh, document this right at a at an appropriate time when the uh, announcement was made the other day about to uh, loosen up the, the embargo. This thing has taken us now to Washington, to Miami, to or all over Havana, and and uh, and so forth. And it's uh, we're developing this. This documentary is is developing. So I'm doing that. Then also I, I've been working on some of his material to do as a as a show. Ode to the Artichoke. The tender-hearted artichoke got dressed as a warrior. Erect, built a little cupola, stood impermeable under its scales. Around it, the crazy vegetables bristled, grew astonishing tendrils, cattails, bulbs. In the subsoil slept the carrot with its red whiskers. The grapevine dried the runners through which it carries the wine. The cabbage devoted itself to trying on skirts, oregano to perfuming the world. And the gentle artichoke stood there in the garden, dressed as warrior, burnished like a pomegranate, proud, and one day along with the others in large willow baskets, it traveled to market to realize its dream, the army. Amid the rows never was it so military as at the fair. Men among the vegetables with their white shirts were marshals of the artichokes, the tight ranks and the voices of command and the detonation of a falling crate. But then comes Maria with her basket and picks an artichoke, isn't afraid of it, examines it, holds it to the light as if it were an egg, buys it and mixes it up in her bag with a pair of shoes, with a head of cabbage and a bottle of vinegar, until entering the kitchen, she submerges it in a pot. Thus ends in peace the career of the armored vegetable which is called artichoke. Then scale by scale, we undress its delight 
and we eat the peaceful flesh of its green heart. That was David Soule. Adam Feinstein's biography, Pablo Neruda, A Passion for Life, is available at the Guardian Bookshop. And that's all we have time for today. My thanks to David Soule, musician Hugh Burns and Adam Feinstein. Also to Word Theatre, the international production company that staged this show and is responsible for many other mould-breaking spoken word events across the UK and America. I'm sure we'll be hearing more of them. If you have something you'd like us to explore or people you'd like to hear about, please tell us about them. You can leave comments on our podcast page at theguardian.com books or tweet us at Guardian Books. I'm Claire Armistead. The producer is Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. This new year, make a resolution to dust off that big idea. This Guardian podcast is supported by Squarespace, the powerful platform that gives you simple tools to create a gorgeous website in minutes. With elegant templates, Getty image integration, and marketing tools, you can make your ideas resonate with the world. Try it at squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off.